Matthew 26, verses 69 to 75. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, uh, Peter denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we do thank you for this reading of your word, and we do look to you, O Father, that you would open this word up to our hearts and uh, open our hearts up uh, to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We come to the conclusion of a pretty long chapter, do we not? Uh, with its 75 verses, there's a lot of, a lot of material to cover in in Matthew 26, isn't there? And though uh, this morning's text that we read, verses 69 through 75, although that is uh, in one sense our text this morning, in another sense, and in a very real and strong sense, uh, our real text this morning is going to be verse 41. Uh, verse 41, if you back up there with me for a moment, Jesus uh, says, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Uh, The spirit indeed is willing, uh, but the flesh is weak. My point in turning you back to verse 41 is because verse 41 is indeed a fulcrum point uh, in this whole narrative. Uh, In case you don't know what I mean by a fulcrum point, think of a seesaw, uh, a a child's seesaw. There's a a board that sits upon a, a fulcrum point and when two children of the, uh, uh, or adults for that matter, of approximately this, uh, this same amount of weight get on either side of the, uh, the seesaw, you're able to easily go uh, back and forth, aren't you? And the uh, text here in verse 41 uh, is a place in the text where we can look backward and we can look forward. Uh, we, can, we can easily look backward because we've looked at all this material Uh, Jesus says, watch and pray for good reason, doesn't he? And then he makes this comment that the spirit is indeed willing, uh, but the flesh is weak. Uh, What's prompting Jesus to say that? Uh, Well, that's how the text looks backward. Uh, What's going to occur in the future? Why the need to watch and pray? Uh, that uh, That points forward, doesn't it? Well, let's take a look. Let's get on our our fulcrum point, if you will. I don't want to say let's get on our seesaw, but let's get on our fulcrum point, if you will, and let's look back. Jesus says the Spirit is willing. The Spirit is willing. May that serve as our first point this morning. The Spirit is willing. What is the context? What What is Jesus saying this in? Well, Jesus has said to the disciples on this night, this very night, 
You're all going to fall away, and you're going to fall away because of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And uh, what is the response on behalf of the disciples when Jesus says that? You know, Peter, uh, speaking for himself and really speaking in, uh, in the spirit of uh, all of the disciples, says, no, never. Uh, we can think of the horror of Peter uh, hearing these words, thinking, abandon you? Scatter? Uh, leave you? It's unthinkable uh, to Peter. And uh, though we know the end of the story, let's not ascribe any hypocrisy to Peter here. You'll recall when we were covering those verses, I, I made it very clear. Don't think of Peter as a hypocrite here. Jesus is saying the Spirit is willing. As Peter says these things, he is speaking out of love for Jesus, out of genuine love for Jesus. He can't imagine how he could pass, possibly abandon Jesus. He loves Jesus. He has proven that love many, many times. After all, he left the fishing industry to follow Jesus, didn't he? He left the fishing boats to follow him. We think about the three and a half years, the approximately three and a half years Peter's been following Jesus. Has it been easy? My heavens, no. Long days in the, in the sun. You know, the testimony of the Gospels share with us that there's various times where they were so busy they couldn't even find time for a sandwich. And it's taken him through many dangers. We could think of times out on the Sea of Galilee in the storms. And we could think of times when would-be disciples come up to Jesus and say, I'd like to follow you. And Jesus say, hey, listen, the foxes, they have holes. Birds of the air, they have their nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Neither did Peter. Neither did the disciples. They were with Jesus every step of the way. They were always with Jesus, except for those occasions when Jesus went off to be alone to pray, which were many. But where were they when Jesus left and went off to pray? They were waiting for Christ to return. They were right there. The thought of abandoning Jesus, my heavens, no. Peter said, I can't even imagine it. And we could stop right now and, and make application quite easily, couldn't we? We could ask ourselves a simple question, really, a diagnostic question. Jesus says the Spirit is indeed willing. Who is He speaking to when He says this? He's speaking to His followers. He's speaking to His disciples. And we could ask ourselves that question. Spirit with a little case S. You know, remember, it's a little case S. You look at verse 41, little case S. It's not the Holy Spirit that's in view here. It's the spirit, it's the inner person that's in view here. It's the seed of the emotions and will that's in view here of each one of us. And let's ask the question, are we willing to follow Jesus? You know, it's a, um, it's a really, as I was praying for Donald and um, um, preaching is a wonderful thing. It's an absolutely wonderful privilege uh, because as you preach and as you teach uh, a congregation, you get to watch changes take place. Sometimes it is almost as if you're watching them take place as you preach and as you teach. And uh, all of us, not just the preacher, should enjoy this. We should all be able to look at one another and see that changes have taken place. And I think we can, can't we? 
Maybe some for right now in this particular season, maybe it's more obvious in some lives than it is in others, but we'll all get our turn. But you begin to see a glow in people's eyes as you say certain things that wasn't there when you used to say the same things. What's happening is God's Spirit is working in the heart of people making their spirit willing. For some of us right now, uh, it's all that we can do to come to church. In fact, coming to church is, is it's just an intermittent, haphazard kind of thing. Uh, the Spirit is willing a little bit. It's real willing on Mondays. Not so much on Saturday night. Uh, others have crossed that barrier, and now coming to church is, is something that your inner person, you're willing to do this. In fact, now you're doing it regularly, and really, you wouldn't think of not coming. And some of you have crossed that transition. You've crossed that, and that's so terribly exciting. That is so wonderfully exciting. Uh, we mustn't stop there because that's not saving faith. Saving faith is, is as God draws us and continues to draw us to where He draws us clear to the point that where we come before the Father and we repent of our sins, we repent of all of our wrongdoings, we repent of ever being part of a domain of darkness, ever being part of opposing Christ, and we, we, we lay that opposition down at the feet of Jesus and we take up Jesus and we embrace Him with our hearts saying, you are my welfare. You're, it's in my best interest to follow you. And that's, that's what I want to do. And if you've done that, that's a gift. That didn't come from you. That came from God. That's a gift. Is the Spirit willing? Is the Spirit willing? Uh, if it is, rejoice. If it is... Still maybe back a few chapters yet, pray, watch and pray. That's Christ's imperative this morning, watch and pray. Okay, so the Spirit is willing. There's, a, there's another point that must be made in verse 41, isn't there? The flesh is weak. And Peter is really our living illustration of the weakness of the flesh. How does Peter respond to Jesus? Jesus says, you're all going to fall away uh, because of me this night. And uh, Zechariah 13, 7 is, is, the, is, uh, uh, is the verse. Uh, that's the verse of the hour. That's the verse that's being fulfilled. And Peter says what? No. No. What? <laughs> it doesn't even sound right, does it? No, Jesus. Those two words don't even belong together, do they? Is it a possibility that Jesus could be wrong about this? Peter thinks so. Peter seems to think so. No. No. Here comes the flesh. Spirit is indeed willing. Here's unbelief. Unbelief. We also see pride. What's Peter say? Hey, these other guys, they, you know, yeah, there's other guys. Yeah, they're going to fall away maybe, some of them. Not me. Can't happen to me. I can see how it can happen to all these other people, but it isn't going to happen to me. Uh-uh, no. See that pride? That little superiority thing going on? That any one of us is maybe above this? while all the others are somehow beneath. 
Then along comes the betrayal party, right? They make their procession into the garden, being led by Judas. They come in with their swords and clubs. And what happens? The disciples ask Jesus, should we bear arms? And before they can even get an answer, there's, there's, there's Peter off with the sword and off with the right ear of Malchus, the servant of the high priest. And if you recall, I made a point about that. Uh, Peter takes things into his own hands. He's got his own agenda going on, his own way of the way this thing should go. Uh, this is a real predicament when Peter draws that sword. This thing, if it weren't for the divine sovereignty, uh, and here we, we see the absolute control of Jesus in that moment, that he keeps this thing from turning into an outright bloodbath. He keeps that from happening as Peter pulls out that sword and draws that sword. And we have to commend Peter, at least at one point, Peter said, I'll die with you, Lord. I'll die with you. And it seems that there he may have been proving that it was true. I, at that point, he, he's willing to uh, die. How could he have taken all of those people? We don't know how many people came with that procession. There were probably a couple of hundred or more that came to apprehend Jesus. Peter has his own thing going on. Okay, Jesus is now apprehended. He's taken away the disciples. They scatter, but Peter, and we're told by the Harmony accounts, uh, the, the story that we've read this morning is recorded by all four gospel writers. And in the Harmony accounts, we're told that uh, Peter and another disciple follow. Uh, the other disciple, probably John, uh, follows. And they follow uh, Jesus to the place where he is being taken for trial. And that takes us to verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. And along comes a very dangerous character. A servant girl. And she comes up to him and says, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. Now I'm being sarcastic when I say that the servant girl is a dangerous character. If you were wanting to write an action movie and uh, you wanted the movie to have some kind of real realism to it, you wouldn't star a servant girl as the, as the action figure of the movie, I wouldn't think. Um, of all people uh, who are, uh, are harmful, we don't think of servant girls as being very harmful, do we? A servant girl comes up to Peter. She asks him a simple question. You also were with Jesus the Galilean. And look at verse 70. Look at how Peter responds. He, he denies it. He denies it before them all. He says, I, I, I don't know what you mean. What? We can make application of that, can't we? When we're in one of those places where uh, uh, we're, we're, we're tempted to lie, but we don't want to lie, but we're going to lie, so we're going to make the lie not be a lie, and we're going to say, uh, what? what? What do you mean? Is there any possibility that Peter's confused about the question? It seems quite simple, doesn't it? It's a denial. 
In verse 71, he goes out to the entrance. Another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Maybe in our mind's eye, we could possibly see her as maybe pointing to Peter as she speaks to this group of people and saying, you know that guy over there? Um, He was with Jesus. What's Peter What's Peter do in verse 72? He denies it with an oath. He says, I don't know the man. It's important that we hold on to that, that idea that he doesn't just say no this time. He actually puts himself under oath. He denies it with an oath. I, I don't know the man. In other word, words, as God is my witness. As God is my witness, I do not know him. And verse 73, after a little while, the bystanders, they come up and they said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. And in verse 74, Peter begins to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. Now he's saying something like, may God do to me and evermore if I ever possibly uh, knew this man. We hear those kinds of of curses throughout the Old Testament. Um, And such is the way that Peter is speaking. And immediately he hears the words of a prophet. Who is the prophet that Peter hears? It's the rooster. The rooster crowed. And God used that rooster as his prophet to remind Peter of the prophecy that had been given in his stead just a few hours earlier. Before the rooster crows, Peter, you will deny me not once, not twice, but three times. And we're told that he wept bitterly. The Spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. What could, what could be our next point? Well, remember I asked you to hang on to this oath, you know, that Peter is placing himself under an oath. There, there are actually two characters in our story who are under oath. Peter is one of them. He puts himself there, right? Who is the other one? It's Jesus. If you recall last week, if you look back to verse 63, um, Jesus is being interrogated by Caiaphas and his, uh, his uh, uh, camaraderie. And Jesus is remaining silent, isn't he? It would be, uh, that would be a, an intriguing and fearful thing, uh, I think. I think Caiaphas was probably... Uh, equally furious and equally afraid at Jesus. And in verse 63, he finally, he, he, he adopts this judicial maneuver and he puts Jesus under oath by saying, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. He places Jesus under oath where Jesus to fulfill all righteousness, uh, which is, is Jesus' pleasure, uh, he has to answer him. Uh, He has to give an answer. So Jesus is under oath. Peter is under oath. 
Now, one of them lies under oath. But the other one tells the truth. You're probably starting to come to the conclusion, you might even start to ask yourself, okay, the disciples have fallen. The religious institution has fallen. The people of Jerusalem have fallen. Everybody has fallen. This night, everybody has fallen, except for one. There's one who's still standing. Who is he? It's Jesus. He's standing, and he's standing all by himself. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. But Christ is strong. Christ is strong. The title of this morning's message is Strength for the Hour of Weakness. I, I spent a lot of time thinking about that title, and I will tell you there's a problem with that title. Uh, I'll share the problem with that title uh, in a moment. It, it, I think it's a strong title. Why would I choose a title like that? Uh, because I want people to listen to the message. We can all relate with the hour of weakness, can't we? And we have all fallen in the hour of weakness, have we not? That's, uh, you notice I don't, I'm not spending a lot of time bringing that up because we, we've got that, don't we? Where do we get strength? Where do we get strength in the hour of weakness? Our text speaks to this in many ways, but I'm going to share with you two ways in which our text speaks to that. One, it demonstrates our weakness. When we look at Peter in this story, if we're looking at Peter from a distance and saying, I just don't understand how Peter could have done that. He's with Jesus all these three years, and I just don't, that Peter, man, I just don't understand how he could have possibly done that. Then we're getting this wrong. That's not how we're to look at this. When we look at Peter, we should be staring as though staring in a mirror. When you look into a mirror, what do you see? When you put a mirror right in front of your face and you look into that mirror, what do you see? You see yourself, don't you? Would we have done any better in the garden than Peter? Where do we often, so often the time, where do we try to draw strength from? The Spirit is willing. It's upon that reservoir where we seek strength, isn't it? Inward willingness, inward resolvement, uh, willpower, inward strength. That's where we... Uh, those are the resources that we tap in order to find strength uh, for today and bright hope for tomorrow, where we hope to have blessings all mine with 10,000 besides. Strength from within. Well, what's Peter showing us? He's showing us that doesn't work. He's showing us that that leads to failure, isn't he? The Spirit is indeed willing, 
But that's not where we get our strength because the flesh is weak. Oftentimes, we look to others for strength. We look to, we look to pastors. Uh, we look to preachers for strength. A pastor and a preacher is only good to you when he is leading you away from himself and to the source of strength, which is who? The only one standing. He is Christ. I am no good to you if I get in the way in between you and Him. In fact, I am a hindrance to you if I do that. If I give you the impression that you've got to, to, to come to Jesus, you've got to go through me and then get to Jesus, that's blasphemy. And there's many people that believe things like that today. We can so easily get in the way. Where do we find the strength? We have to look outside of ourselves and we have to look away from other people. Pastors are useful. Teachers in the church are useful. My study is full of pastors, faithful pastors, faithful men who have written books over the years and sermons, and I am so thankful for them because they lead me to Jesus. Where do we find strength in the hour of weakness? By looking to Christ. Now, someone might say, well, man, you spent a half an hour developing that. I knew that when I walked through the door. If you're thinking that way, um, I knew that when I walked through the door too. I knew that last week before I spent all this time on this, on this text, but... Uh, I still don't have this down. I still haven't mastered this one yet, have you? These times of weaknesses, they come, don't they? Let me conclude by sharing with you the problem with the title. Um, there's a problem with the title. Strength for the Hour of Weakness. What's the problem with that title? It sounds like a catchy title, doesn't it? The problem with the title is it suggests that we only need to do this when we're in these certain times and in these certain hours. Hello. Left to ourselves, which is exactly where we are when we're drawing from an inward spirit of willingness, from personal resolve, from love, from affection, from all of those things that come from within, which are good in and of themselves. They're fine. Don't think that I'm condemning these things. These things are needful. They're wonderful. We have to have them. They're, what, they're the things that God uses in our lives to lead us. We should love Jesus. We should be affectionate towards Jesus. We should, uh, we should be wanting to follow Him. Yes, yes, yes. But these things... These things are not sufficient in order to strengthen us. And when we are using these things, guess what? We're weak. When we're left all by ourselves, we are not just weak at one hour today and one hour tomorrow or weak when there's a certain situation ahead 
We're weak all the time. In fact, I might even add, there's never a time when we are strong when we're by ourselves. So this whole title, this whole idea of strength for, an hour, for the hour of weakness, it's a catchy little title, but let's not take it very far. Yes, we need it in that hour. Let's remember it in that hour. We need it more so in that hour. But this needs to become a lifestyle. That's the last point I would make, is this has to be a lifestyle. In the morning when we wake up, what should we do? Watch and pray. Pray for grace for today. Pray that the Lord will keep you and He'll guard you, that He'll watch over you, that He'll give you the grace to stand against the schemes of the wicked one. In fact, we might use the Apostle Paul's words, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of whose might? In the strength of His might. In the strength of His might. And all through the day, we would be praying, unceasingly praying that we would be walking in the strength of His might. And before we go to bed at night, let's conclude. Let's conclude the same way. This needs to be a lifestyle, not just for a particular problem or for a particular trial that's in our lives. Amen? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You. We can so resonate with our story, for, O oh Lord, our, our spirit is often willing. Uh, but, O oh Father, we do recognize how weak we are. We do recognize how awfully weak uh, that we are. But, O oh Father, in our story, we discover that there is strength. There is strength available to us that we can take by faith. And we have at all times, and what a wonderful thing that is, is to have a, a strong hand holding us, O oh Father, holding us through the difficulties of this life, through the difficulties of today and the difficulties of tomorrow. We thank you, O Father, that you have done more than offer us that hand, but that you hold on to us and you hold on to us tightly. So, O Father, we pray that you would give us grace to drink of these things very deeply, that we would see this lesson from Peter, this painful lesson, that, O Father, that if we draw upon the strength of uh, inward willingness and inward resolvement and inward uh, affections that, oh, Father, we will indeed find ourselves uh, without strength. We will find ourselves weak, but, oh, Father, let us watch and pray and look to you that we would be strong in the Lord, that, oh, Father, that we would uh, be strengthened by your might, oh, Father. And to these ends we pray in Jesus' name, amen.